Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's time to go inside the film room with veteran scout and coach Chris Landry and Scott Seidenberg breaking down college football from a different angle. It's the College Football Film Room Podcast. Welcome inside the College Football Film Room alongside veteran scout, coach, and consultant Chris Landry from LandryFootball.com. I'm Scott Seidenberg, and today we break down the SEC, the powerhouse that is the Southeastern Conference. We'll be joined by Connor O'Gara from SaturdayDownSouth.com. And Chris, there's so much talent in this conference, and I think it's safe to say that one or maybe two participants in the college football playoff will guaranteed come from the sec well it certainly we could have two. it just depends upon how things shake out and whether oh, they we're definitely having not... one i think it's a lock the sec yeah, no, champion is no, automatically in no but i mean it's just a matter of you know whether that second one gets in it just depends upon where the loss is and who it's to when it is that that is what i'm saying is going to determine the probability likelihood of, of a second one getting in. And, um, you know, I, I will say this, that it's interesting in that uh, Georgia has, I think, a little bit more challenging schedule than Alabama. Um, but they're both, you know, in conference, play good teams and likely going to play each other in the SEC championship game. Yeah. So as we suppose and look at this, you know, if Alabama were to get tripped up, it's Alabama. They're likely or usually circumstances tied to them losing like just a bunch of injuries against Auburn a couple of years ago. They still made it in. There's the They won't ever say this or admit to it, but there's this belief that Alabama's really good, and they get a lot of, you know, probably, I think, well-deserved, but in some people's eyes, maybe too much deserved uh, benefit of the doubt because who they are. And, and so if Georgia, if Alabama's on the outside in and Georgia wins the conference, then, you know, I think Alabama's still got a shot. Now, some may say, well, wait a minute. With that schedule, well, we'll see what the other options are. It's hard to, to say in the bubble who would make it. But if Georgia's on the outside looking out and lose to Alabama again, no, you wonder. They've been to the playoffs. They've obviously not gotten over the hump. And it, and I would say that it's more likely that Georgia has to, to, to win the conference to get in. But then again, do we have four teams at that point? Or, and do we have somebody, you know, assuming it's Clemson, assuming it's Alabama, let's just, just go with that for a second. Uh, is there a really strong third team? And is there a really formidable fourth team? A really good 11-1 and one type team that wins the Big 12, the Big 10, uh, you know, probably trumps a a, 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 a Georgia that uh, maybe has one loss that doesn't win their conference title. Don't know that. I mean, it's mm -hmm. hard to look at it and just start looking at numbers and, and, and wins and losses that haven't taken place. But how do you look? So, listen, it is a really good – it's the best league because they have the most amount of teams that are top five caliber – top 10 caliber, top 15 caliber, and top 20 caliber. Um, you look at the toughest schedules, and by and large, they're SEC schedules. They're A&M. They're South Carolina. They're Auburn. I mean, go down. I mean, when you got to play just in the West and you got to play Alabama, LSU, Auburn, or A&M, I mean, you're any one of those teams, you got to play the others. 
it's pretty tough. It's mm-hmm. pretty tough in its own right. Now, Alabama doesn't have the tough game to start the year. They've got Duke, so they're without that. Uh, but, you know, Auburn is going to be an interesting team. What can they bring? Uh, you know, that schedule is so difficult that I don't think it puts them in it, quite frankly, uh, because of the difficulty. But there is no question There's a ch- there was a, a case to be made for two being uh, into the playoffs out of the SEC last year. I think there will be a strong case again this year, at least as I go into the season and look at the talent level of the roster. I think Georgia is really good again and, you know, are going to be nipping at the heels once again at Alabama. So besides Alabama and Georgia, when you're breaking down the rosters, which team in the SEC has the next best roster, the next most talented roster? Because I can sit here and and obviously I'm not grading them like you are with the experience scouting like you have. But to me, I look at LSU and, and I see the most NFL talent on LSU right now, you know, and I'm speaking strictly of, you know, draft prospects and things like that. When you break down these rosters, who is it besides Alabama and Georgia that has the next best roster? I think it's LSU. I think okay. there's a drop off. I think it's LSU, um, it, it, Auburn and Florida kind of grouped in that next tier in that order. Um, now again, Auburn, inexperienced at quarterback, but loaded on the defensive line. I'm loaded on the defensive line and really good secondary defense is outstanding as is LSU's as is Florida's. Um, But so I think that's how I would rank them. Then, then you get into A&M, which is fastly becoming, you know, in that group. And and I think we'll be right there kind of where Georgia is right now just nipping at the heels of Alabama. That's where AM's headed. They are just killing it on the recruiting trail. I think they're they're on the way to catching and maybe surpassing LSU. Wow. Um, uh, they're, they're that good. They are absolutely killing it on recruiting. Just, just incredible. They are recruiting uh, as good or better than LSU, better than Florida, better than Auburn. Uh, only Alabama and Georgia are recruiting better in the SEC. And quite frankly – um, you could make the case Clemson and maybe Ohio State are the only teams, in addition to those that I mentioned, in the country that are recruiting better than AM. They are really, really doing it. And Oklahoma's in that class too, but AM is just absolutely killing it on the recruiting end. So, uh, but, but really talented, very dangerous team. And as I said, uh, AM's probably no better than no eight and four this year roster wise, but that's how I see the rosters. And uh, I think that that goes, uh, tells you what the pitfalls are when you got to play, play into the, um, the, the, the schedules that is difficult weekend and we got in the sec. Yeah, of course. Uh, Tennessee has been on hard times, but I think there's reason for optimism with Jeremy Pruitt there. How far away is this team from competing? What do you expect to see from them this year, year two under Jeremy Pruitt improvement, but they're quite a ways away from Florida and they're a long ways away from Georgia. I mean, they're like, they can see Georgia. They can barely tell that there's something red and black and they're that far away. (laughs) They're a long way away. In fact, right now, Tennessee's got to got to concern themselves with beating Vanderbilt. Yeah, and beating Vanderbilt, Kentucky, South Carolina, and Missouri, Tennessee has to be again the third best team in the East. They have to work their way back to where they're the third best program in the East. They're not right now, 
Maybe they can be in another year or so. Maybe, depending on what happens, maybe they can surprise a couple of people. Here's the thing. Love their receivers. Think they've got some good skill players. Garantano's not a bad quarterback. Not a difference maker, but not a bad quarterback. They're not good enough on the line of scrimmage, Scott. That's where they're thin and they don't match up. Missouri's a better line of scrimmage team. South Carolina's a better line of scrimmage team. In that East, um, they they are more talented than Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt's just whacked them. Um, you know, taking care and beating, um, you know, Kentucky in a year where, you know, you think they wouldn't have beat Kentucky. Uh, they they Listen, they beat Auburn. They beat Kentucky. They had a couple of those games that maybe surprised some folks. But um, they've got to develop more consistency. I think they're progressing. Jeremy's recruiting well. He's doing a really good job. But as I always say, when when you're doing a good job and you're recruiting well, put your behind Georgia and you're behind Florida in recruiting, you're not going to make up ground. I think that it's a race, but Georgia and then Florida behind them are so far ahead of Tennessee that it's going to take a while. So the folks that are hoping for the long and for the days where Tennessee is going to be right there with you know, top five, they're, it's going to be very, very difficult because this is a different Georgia and I think a different Florida because I think both of those teams are very talented and I think both are well coached. So I think getting better in Knoxville, but the best they can hope for within the next couple of years is to get to the third best program in the East. Uh, Kentucky Chris has lost a lot of talent, obviously, to the NFL, but Mark Stoops has still done a nice job with constructing that roster. Can they duplicate the success that they had last year? I don't think so. I mean, I think they'll be good. I think that they're going to be what they are. They're going to be physical. They're going to be tough. They're going to find their landmarks on defense. They're going to tackle well. Uh, They coach as well as anybody. Uh, You don't lose Josh Allen. You don't lose Benny Snell and just plug in the new guys at Kentucky. You do that in basketball when they go to the NBA. You don't do that in football at Kentucky. It's a developmental program, and I do think that when things kind of break right and you can get certain guys the third, four year, fourth year in their system, I think you can have the type of magical year that they had last year. But is it duplicable on a year-in-year-out basis? No, I, I don't think so. Um I, I I look and I think that there's there's a, a, going to go to a bowl game. I think that is definitely in play. But when you look at the schedule, I, I think you got some real some real challenges there that can make it difficult. Um, I, I don't like, even though they did it last year for the first time in forever, I don't like you know the, the chances at uh, at Florida. Not going to beat Georgia, um, but the schedule schedule is pretty favorable. You know Toledo, which is not easy, by the way. And Eastern Michigan's no slots. They win those two games, and and they will definitely beat Tennessee, Martin, and Louisville at the end of the year. Um, you know they'll they'll definitely beat Arkansas. I, I think that the games that's going to define their season is going to be those swing games at Vanderbilt, Tennessee at home, Missouri, which we're going to get to in a little bit, um, South Carolina, Mississippi State. That's going to determine whether this team can win six, seven, or eight. I think that's very doable. But I don't, uh, I don't see last year where they won 10. I don't see them even getting to nine. But I think eight's doable. 
I'm going to ask this of our guest, Connor O'Gara, coming up in just a few moments, Chris, but I want to get your take on this. What would be the most disappointing thing to happen this year in the SEC, a hypothetical situation that would be the most disappointing thing? Um, would it be Alabama not making it to the SEC title game? Would it be, uh, you know, and would it be Alabama losing two games? Like, what would be the most disappointing yeah, thing for the SEC? Well, that, I think I think that was it. I, I, I didn't even uh, losing two games would be disappointing. <laughs> I don't know if I'd say disappointing as much as shocked. I would <laughs> say that. Um, I mean, I would say that it would probably come down to 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 Alabama or Georgia and them underachieving. You know, maybe one of them losing a couple of games. That would be probably the most disappointing. I think while the expectations are high, I think and I think the conference is really good. I, I think those are clearly the best team in each division. Um and I that that would be the most surprising and most disappointing because I think those are the only two teams that are that are national championship caliber. I do not think Florida or LSU or AM or anybody else is capable of winning a national championship out of the SEC. Only Alabama, only Georgia. They have the complete rosters uh that that can do it um and the coaching that can do it. I think LSU's, you know, close talent wise to doing it, but I don't think they have that edge that are good enough to win it. So I would say it would be the derailing of Alabama or Georgia would be the most disappointing pointing or the most surprising, however you want to couch it. All right, let's welcome in our featured guest this week, Connor O'Gara, who writes for SaturdayDownSouth.com, the premier SEC blog. And Connor, does the SEC season truly begin with Alabama and Georgia in Atlanta? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it sort of feels like it does at this point. I mean, it, it's not just the fact that these teams have been, you know, they obviously faced each other last year and you know, we, we talk about the recruiting rankings and all the preseason stuff, but, like, I just can't see anybody really competing with Georgia in that division yet. I mean, the last two years in the division, they've won every single game in the SEC East by at least 14 points. Like, nobody has come close to them. And I know people are talking about, oh, Florida might be the team to get, to sneak up on them and maybe Mizzou or something like that. But, like, to me, this is still Georgia's division, not even close. And then Bama, I mean, yeah, you could make the case that maybe they have a slip up here or there. Maybe that game in College Station in early October could be an opportunity, or maybe somehow Auburn can pull off another mammoth upset at Jordan-Hare. But at the same time, is anybody picking Bama to lose a regular season game? No. So it does feel like it is Bama and Georgia on another crash course, uh, part three of this rivalry. I think that's kind of the odds-on favorite right now, and I'd be surprised to see anything other than that in Atlanta. You mentioned a couple of opportunities for potential slip-ups for Alabama. Looking at the Georgia schedule, is there a game that you're slightly concerned about as someone that could upset the apple cart? Yeah, not to be uh, too cliche here, but I, I think uh, just like 2017, I, I think that Georgia falls at Auburn. Um, mm. And I realize that's that's tough to say this far out in advance. We don't even know who's going to be starting a quarterback for Auburn. I don't even know if Gus Malzahn is going to have a job in November, but you know, here we are trying to figure this out. And, you know, Georgia, you know, last year I predicted before the start of the season that they were going to lose that game against LSU. You just kind of wondered about the competition level coming in and if they were going to be winning games too comfortably and to finally see a team that could match up with them at the line of scrimmage and what were they going to do. And sure enough, they were not ready to raise their game to that level. They did after that. But still, 
I think that this year you're going to look at this matchup and you're going to look at what Auburn has on the offensive line and what Georgia has on the offensive line, arguably the two best respective units in all of college football. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's going to be the matchup right there. And if you can, if you can not get pushed off the line of scrimmage against Georgia, that, that is a huge, huge advantage, especially when we don't know what the situation at receiver holds for Georgia and all the inexperience that they have in that area. And I, I just think that that could be an opportunity where Georgia just goes into another crossover game, a really tough environment, and Auburn is maybe just playing a little bit loose, a little bit free, has its offensive identity figured out, and they're able to pull off another victory turn there. Well, you mentioned the uncertainty surrounding Gus Malzahn. What does Auburn need to do this year to ensure that he returns in 2020? Simply put, be way better than last year. I mean, it's it's not much more difficult than that. I mean, I think they need to show that offensive improvement. I think Gus taking over the play calling duties and, you know, basically deciding, hey, this is my offense again. I really want to take the reins of this after Chip Lindsey left and, and ultimately, you know, went to, went to Kansas, went to UNC. And now this situation all falls to Gus Malzahn and the quarterback situation is one that we've been following very closely throughout the offseason. It feels like this decision is going to determine whether or not he is going to be the guy after 2019, whether or not it's Joey Gatewood or Bo Nix. You know, simply put, whoever the starting quarterback is just has to be better than Jared Stidham was last year because he took a step back and you could make the – you know, the argument that he wasn't the right fit in the system and all these different things. But, you know, Auburn's just got to get back to being Auburn, and that is dominating at the line of scrimmage, letting the running game do the talking, having a quarterback who is not just a willing runner but a capable runner, somebody that can make plays with, with his legs. And I think that that's, that's what they're going to have, whether it's Joey Gatewood or Bo Nix, in two different ways that they are, they're capable of doing it. But I do think that for Gus Malzahn, you know, it's it simply put, be better. Don't, don't have those – you can't have those two losses on your resume going into October. That would be a really tough look for him. But, you know, I, I think that there is potential with this offense and what this team could ultimately do at the line of scrimmage. Man, you mentioned Stidham last year. I, I don't think I've been more wrong on a quarterback in the way that they turned out than Jared Stidham last year. I was so high on this kid and that Auburn team last year. And, man, a step back is right. And so we'll see if uh, this year's team with a different quarterback under center can do a much better job than what Auburn did last year. You know, speaking of coaching, and especially on the recruiting end, uh, Jimbo Fisher's done a really nice job since he's taken over at Texas A&M. What's the high watermark for this team this year? This year, the, the high watermark is tough, right? Because we're talking about a schedule that's as grueling as any in the country. I mean, anytime you have to face the likes of Georgia, Bama, Clemson, all in one year, mm-hmm. it, it's tough to sit here and say, yes, Texas A&M will be a playoff team. If Texas A&M is going to be a playoff team this year, just give Jimbo Fisher the coach every coach of the year award <laughs> there is. because That would be an unbelievable accomplishment, especially, especially after you lose guys like Travion Williams and Jay Sternberger, these guys who were just huge breakout stars in year one of Jimbo Fisher's offense. But, you know, I think A&M with Kellen Mond, if Kellen Mond makes that next step, which I think he will, I think this still has a a nine-win ceiling in the regular season with potential to have maybe one of those LSU-type years where everybody last year was talking about LSU's daunting schedule and, oh, they're only going to win seven games. And and then, sure enough, LSU looks at that schedule and goes, oh, no, we're, we're, we're going to be just fine. We have our guy at quarterback. 
and we're going to rise above these expectations. And LSU was able to get that 10th win in a New Year's Six Bowl. I think that if A&M gets to nine wins in the regular season, it would be looking at a New Year's Six Bowl and having a chance to get to double-digit wins its best season of the post-Johnny Menzel era. That would be an impressive accomplishment and a sign of major, major progress in year two of the Jimbo Fisher era. Do they get there? Uh, that's a different discussion. I think the schedule just won't necessarily allow for that that team to be able to make that big of a jump in year two. Connor Algara from Saturday Down South joins us here on the College Football Film Room podcast. You know, mentioning you mentioned LSU, and you look at that schedule, and you look at the NFL caliber talent that's on that team, especially on the defensive side of the football. If they get past that Texas game, do they have a chance to make a deep run into their season before losing a game? And I'm talking about leading all the way up to that Alabama game in Tuscaloosa. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. I, I think LSU deserves to be a top five team to start the year. I think they should be ranked ahead of Ohio State. If you look at what they return, not only in the secondary, which, by the way, I think is the best in the country with mm-hmm. Grant Delpit, mm-hmm. who is the best defensive player in college football, and then having a lockdown shut down corner in Christian Fulton and then the true freshman that everybody's going to be really excited about Derek Stingley somebody who could be making an all-america team within his first two years of college that secondary is going to be special there's no doubt about it but it's the offense that I think is going to be different how many times have we said this before at LSU and oh this offense is going to be different this year it's going to be a totally different story they're finally getting with the times and they brought in Joe Brady as the quarterback's coach, to be able to manage this RPO system to say, mm-hmm, hey, look, mm-hmm. we've got to be with 2019 here. We understand that we've got a, a gamer in Joe Burrow. That's that's the stereotype that I can throw out there. Um, <laughs> somebody in Joe Burrow who can do a variety of things in this offense. And last year, for a variety of reasons, he really didn't get to because they had a very limited quarterback depth situation. They had had two quarterbacks transfer before the start of the season. They didn't sign a quarterback in that class last year. And their backup quarterback, Miles Brennan, was injured throughout the year, so they couldn't run Joe Burrow as much as they wanted to. Miles Brennan is healthy. He's heavier this year. He's up to 212 pounds. They think that Joe Burrow can be a running guy in that offense. And as we saw in the A&M game and what he did against UCF, he's more than capable of doing just that. So I think LSU has potential to be a top-20 offense this year. I love what they return. love guys like Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase, guys who I think are really going to make big play impacts for that group this year. Yeah, there is absolutely a chance that they go into that Bama game with maybe one loss. I think the the, the, the ceiling for this team again is another New Year's Six Bowl. I, I'd be surprised if they were on the outside of that New Year's Six discussion at the end of the regular season here. What do you want to see from Dan Mullen this year at Florida? You know, I want to see more – even more from Felipe Franks. We saw it a little bit down the stretch. I loved what he did against Michigan, where he had the presence of mind to look at that defense and say, you know what, that defense is gassed right now. They don't have their studs. There are three big studs on the defensive side of the ball with Devin Bush, Rashawn Gary, Chase Winovich. All those guys were out, and his ability to recognize, I can run the ball up the middle. That's what a Dan Mullen quarterback needs to be able to do. And I I credit Dan Mullen because he did a much better job with Felipe Franks than I ever thought possible. The the ability that Mullen showed to scheme receivers open and give give Felipe Franks these big throwing windows, that was so key for him last year. But can Felipe take the next step this year? That's something that Mullen knows it's going to fall on him. And if, if Franks regresses, that's going to be not necessarily the best mark that he wants in year two. But fitting the ball into tighter windows and being able to have a quarterback who can recognize when he needs to run and when he can pick up a first down with his legs, 
is something that Felipe can do. It's just getting that all there mentally. That That's, I think, the big thing that we need to see from him. This offseason has not been the best for him. And one of the questions that we had about his situation coming into Florida was how is he going to manage these egos in the offseason? It's different at Florida compared to a place like Mississippi State where you're not in the center of this offseason discussion. But as we've seen with Florida, it always seems to happen like this. Whenever they get a little bit of mojo going, bad stuff usually tends to happen in the offseason. And how Mullen is able to kind of emerge from this and move past what's been an ugly offseason for his program and get back to playing top 10 football, that, that remains to be seen. But to me, that's what I want to see. If he can establish that in year two, man, the sky is the limit for this guy in this program. All right, year two for Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee. Um, it, it's It's been a disappointment for Vols fans over the past couple of years, especially in SEC play where they've been just abysmal. But year two is usually when coaches kind of get their culture involved in the program. So what type of jump can fans expect from Tennessee this year? You know, I, I've written about this subject a lot, and the more I think about it, and I know this is tough, as long as Tennessee gets to six wins this year, they should really not get caught up in the win total. If you're a Tennessee fan, do not sit there and say, we need to get to eight wins. If we get to eight wins, that's going to solidify. We're doing this, this, and this right. There are year two mirages, and Tennessee's schedule sets up for a year two mirage where they could do a lot of things very on par with what they did last year, where, where they had just a frustrating, inconsistent season, and they could at, at the same time be rewarded in the win column, and they could get to seven, eight wins pretty easily with this schedule and how it sets up with not having that power five opponent in non-conference play. And, and, you know, the schedule just really sets up well for the Vols this year to be able to make that, that jump from five wins. And to me, I'm looking at how they compete against the, the contenders, the, the big tough games on their schedule. They can't get blown out of the water in the first half by Alabama and Georgia. They've got to be able to stay on the field with those teams in order for me to think that Jeremy Pruitt is making some good strides in year two. We saw it in flashes last year. The game that they had at Auburn was – Super impressive, and it was a great sign for that program. We thought they were turning the corner. What they did against Kentucky, you know, Kentucky was coming off that Georgia loss. But still, what they did against a really good Kentucky team was impressive. We need to be able to see that from week to week now. We need to see that on consecutive weeks with this program. They need to get better in the trenches. Jeremy Pruitt dropped the stat at SEC Media Days about now having, as opposed to having two guys last year who were over 300 pounds, now he's got 15 guys that are over 300 pounds and ready to really block in this conference. That's what's going to change it for this program. But I would tend to say that if fans are, are holding on to a certain win total, don't because it's not worth it. And you, you could end up kind of tricking yourself into a false sense of confidence. I, I'd look a little bit deeper than that in year two of the Jeremy Pruitt era. All right, Connor, before we let you go, I'm going to ask you for the biggest surprise and biggest disappointment this year. Kind of like a bold prediction. It doesn't have to come true, but what would be the biggest surprise this year in the SEC? Biggest surprise in the SEC this year is if it's not be, Georgia in the championship game. <laughs> you know, I, I do have Georgia winning the SEC championship, so I'm probably not the best person for that. I do have them finally getting over that hump against against Alabama this year. I don't know if that's necessarily my biggest surprise, just with given all the expectations. But how about this? How about Gus Malzahn survives and and that would Auburn be a shocker. Is, is, yep. Auburn's looking at nine wins in the regular season. I, I could see that happening. I just tend to think, and I, I really don't want to base too much of this on the Music City Bowl and what he did against Purdue, 
But I, I just kind of have the feeling, and you know, hearing him talk about it at SEC Media Days, where he's like, you know, four of the six seasons that I've been here, I've been on the hot seat, like big deal. <laughs> it, he just always seems to kind of come up with that year, and it, it wouldn't surprise me if he had another one of those years, if he had just a, a young emerging star at quarterback, and he was able to really turn around the narrative and get a lot of those supporters back that he lost last year. That would be a big surprise, and then. I think Kentucky not falling off the face of the earth would be a surprise. I, I think that Kentucky is, is worthy of starting in the top 25, and I think that Mark Stoops has that program in a much better place than people realize. People look and see Josh Allen and Benny Snell no longer there, and they're like, ah, these once-in-a-generation players gone. That means Kentucky's going to fall back to earth. I, I'm not convinced that's going to happen. I think that he's got a great staff in place there. I think that he's really established a culture of getting these overlooked recruits, these guys who come from Ohio and who kind of have the chip on the shoulder type thing, and they just come in there ready to play. And I think with that, Mark Stoops this year is going to establish himself as kind of what Dan Mullen was at Mississippi State. I think that that would surprise a lot of people. It wouldn't necessarily surprise me because I've been talking about it all offseason, mm-hmm. but I'd say those are probably the two hills that I'm willing to, to stand on this offseason. And what would be the biggest disappointment if it happens? Biggest disappointment if it doesn't happen – how about just – oh, that's tough. I was going to make a national championship thing, but I'm probably not quite ready to do that. Okay. okay. Um, it, actually, you know what? Let's, let's, let's go for it. How about let's say Bama doesn't get to a national championship. They've been to four straight, mm-hmm. and it feels like we're heading for another Clemson-Bama rematch because that's yeah. what every single year tells us. But that would be the massive disappointment. Saban, of course, has – been to he has won a national championship in four of the five years that he has come back from a team that lost a bowl game I mean the revenge tour narrative is going to be there it's going to be there all season but I just think the competition level is really really good surrounding Bama and it's at a different place than it was in those years when they were coming off of you know those disappointing losses in the postseason and I think that you know whether it's Clemson whether it's Georgia I think that there's a team that's that's capable of upending Bama and I think that Yes, they might run through the table in the regular season, but I think that they could have a very tough time in the postseason just because the competition level is just better. I think it's just better at the top of college football. It's at a different place than it was maybe you know four or five years ago, and I, I think that that would be that would be the most shocking surprise because everybody's picking Bama or Clemson to win it all right now. Tua plays in over under five and a half fourth quarters this year. Oh, way under, way <laughs> under. Yeah, no, no. It, they're they're going to try and keep that dude healthy as possible. Yeah, no, he's not playing in that many fourth quarters. It's like the, watching what he did in the regular season last year, there's just there's no way, especially now I think Saban really wants to protect him. I think as a result of that and what we saw with him going to the, the injury tent basically every every yep. game in the latter half of the season, I think that Bamba's going to want to become a little bit more run-reliant. They're going to want to establish – Guys like Najee Harris and Trey Sanders a lot more. They want to get them more involved and not be so pass-reliant. I think that was a little bit of the reason as to why they they were just kind of lost in that game against Clemson when they just really didn't have anything to turn to. Uh, I I think that you know the, the, the flow of this team will still be very, very dominant in the regular season, but I think that the identity will shift a bit and won't be quite as pass-heavy as it was last year. But, yeah, way under on five-and-a-half fourth quarters for Tua. Connor, I appreciate the time and the insight, and uh, we love reading Saturday down south, and we hope to catch up with you during the course of the season.
Sounds good. Appreciate it. There he is, Connor O'Gara. Check him out, SaturdayDownSouth.com. The uh, Twitter handle for Saturday Down South is just simple, at SDS. Great stuff from him covering the SEC. Chris, I want to quickly touch on some teams that uh, we didn't get to with Connor, um, and, and let's just start in the SEC West and talk about Ole Miss, uh, the outlook for the Rebels this year. Um, really concerned about this team. I think roster wise, they're in for a downfall. They may be along with Arkansas, the worst roster in the league. And when they play early on, they'll probably determine who has the worst record in the sec. Uh, Matt Corral is going to have to step up and make some plays for them. They've got a couple of good young backs. Um, th- th- this is, this is going to be uh, an issue there. So, um, you know, I, I think that's the, that's the biggest concern I would have. So what about uh, keep, keeping moving in that division? So we talk about Ole Miss. Let's go into Mississippi State now. Well, Mississippi State is, uh, you know, I thought last year had a solid year with the defense. You consider that maybe they might be a little bit better. Uh, I, I don't think, I don't see them winning more than eight again this year. Uh, maybe four and four, maybe five and three in the league. I'm curious to see what they can do offensively. Is Tommy Stevens going to be the guy? He's probably the better fit for running the offense. Um, you know, defensively, they lose a whole lot of guys. I, I think I think they're, in my opinion, you know, in that next year, if you look at, you know, the West and you got Alabama, LSU, then you got, you know, um, A&M, Auburn, and, and then you got a little – little gap and then there's Mississippi state, then there's a gap and then there's Ole Miss and Arkansas. So I kind of see them as kind of right there as fifth in the West. How about Arkansas? I, I think complete rebuild. I think a little bit better on offense and they just don't have enough playmakers on defense. Again, probably come down to that Ole Miss game, in the early part of the year, which makes that exciting is who might get out of the basement. Uh, I think that, uh, that that's probably the worst-looking roster. Getting better, but the worst-looking roster in the SEC. And here's the thing. Top 20 recruiting class, it, it gets you like sixth or seventh in the West. That's that's how difficult it is to make ground in this league. But I like what Chad's doing, but they don't have enough playmakers on defense. And if that doesn't change, they're going to have issues. So I, I think Ole Miss is maybe um, – you know, closer to making a change. Obviously, Chad Morris says, you know, is, is only in his second year, but I think Arkansas is facing an uphill battle and nowhere near the upper echelon of the West. And I don't see them getting there um, in the foreseeable future. Over in the East, what can we expect from the Kelly Bryant led Missouri Tigers? You know, I think this team has the best chance to be this year's Kentucky. I, I think this team is very good on the offensive line. You mentioned Kelly Bryant. He's got some leadership there. He's got a very underrated running back in Larry Roundtree. You've got the best tight end in the league in Albert O. Solid offensive line. Um, Defense that's pretty good. They play really sound, good gap control defense. And you you start looking at it. You look at their their schedule. Very favorable. Mm -hmm. Got Wyoming, West Virginia that's rebuilt, Southeast Missouri. you know, getting over the hump at South Carolina, it's going to be interesting to see. I, I think they could absolutely uh, start out 7-0, and 8-0. I think that is doable. Think about that for a second. If they beat South Carolina, um, you, Wyoming, West Virginia, Southeast Missouri, Troy, which is no piece of cake, Ole Miss, Vanderbilt, Kentucky, they could go into uh, between the hedges on November 9th 
eight and zero or seven and one. But how many people yeah. are going to be all? How many people are going to be talking about it with the postseason ban? You know. Well, well, we know by then. We don't know. I mean, that that's yeah. going to be interesting to see. So, uh, listen, I don't think they're a great team, but I think that like last year's Kentucky team, they're good. They have a couple of key playmakers. Got a good running back. They don't have a Josh Allen on defense, but they're really good. And the schedule's favorable. Again, you talk about difficulties of schedule. You draw Ole Miss out of the West. You know, you got Vanderbilt and Kentucky in your own division. South Carolina is the key one. West Virginia looks good. They're in rebuild. Wyoming, not easy, but certainly not difficult. Um, th- this is going to all change in November. Now, they'll they'll end up beating Arkansas at the end of the year. But, you know, they get in November, they got Georgia, they got Florida. I think those are two losses right there. But I absolutely think they can beat Tennessee. Ten and two in a bowl game is not off the table mm. for Missouri. I mean, you know, I, I, I think there's a chance maybe that's nine and three. Uh, maybe it's eight and four. Uh, it really depends, again, on how they fare at Vanderbilt, at Kentucky, South Carolina at home. Um that's going to determine it because I don't see them beating Georgia or Florida. And I really don't see them losing um, to Ole Miss or Arkansas. I think, so I think it's going to come down to the, the, the Tennessee game and the Kentucky game and the Vanderbilt game and the South Carolina game. That's going to be the variable from being a 10 win team, a nine win team, an eight win team, a seven win team that that's the variable it can go. But I think anything short of nine wins would be a little bit disappointing when I look at this team relative to their schedule, I think they've got the goods to do it. And I think they are the dark horse team to finish third in the East. I think South Carolina has as good a team athletically at the line of scrimmage. I don't think they have as good a running back. Um, if they could run the football better, we'll get, you know, I know we're probably going to get to South Carolina in a second, but I, I just want to kind of tie them in here, but you know, South Carolina has got a more difficult schedule. So what separates a team like Missouri to South Carolina, in my view, for that third spot is the strength of schedule within the league. Missouri's got an easier road. Yeah, and let's get into South Carolina because you just mentioned them. Like the line of scrimmage, think that they've got some depth on the defensive line. Uh, Offensive line's pretty solid. For the life of me, can't figure out why they can't run the football, why they can't recruit good backs. They can't defend the run as well. I think Missouri's a little better coached. Um, just in terms of game day, assignment, fits, run fits. Look, I think it's um I think that's the difference there. That in the schedule that's more difficult for South Carolina. We've talked about that at nauseum, but you got Alabama, you got Georgia, you got Clemson on your schedule. You start right there and say, pretty difficult. You also got to go to AM. Uh, you also got Florida. Uh, enough said there. It, it's gonna be very, very difficult. You go seven and five, that's a big time season against this schedule if you're South Carolina, in my mind. What can Vanderbilt look forward to besides the fact that they're renovating the football stadium? Well, they need that. They've got the worst facilities in the league. They're kind of the sore thumb there, the academic, you know, but the eyesore football-wise, you know, you can remember. I don't remember it. It was before my time, but uh, Vanderbilt was a power way back in the day, and and, uh, Dan McGeegan, and uh, this really predating the SEC, uh, what you can expect is obviously a new quarterback in Riley Neal. Uh, you can see one of the more underrated running backs in the country and certainly in the league in Keyshawn Vaughn. Uh, I think you're going to see one of the better run uh, receivers 
in the country in Kalajalinska. They are really good there. I, I think they've got a couple of guys on the offensive line that are solid, that can be really good players. I think they're well coached on defense. I think they're well positioned. I think the defense could be even a little bit better than than last year. It's a good football team. I mean, you look at the six and seven, three and five last year. Look, I mean, uh, they, they start out at Georgia. They start out at Purdue. They, then they got uh, LSU. I mean, you could be zero and three um, and maybe have to get to Northern Illinois to get your first win. But then they've got Ole Miss. Then they've got UNLV, aforementioned Missouri, South Carolina. Don't like them at Florida, but I think they've got a shot at Kentucky. And who's to say they can't go on the road at Tennessee and, and, and you know, win? They've done it three years in a row, and that hadn't happened since the 1930s. Mm. Finally, we talked about this with uh, Connor a little bit, but how dangerous can Dan Mullen's Florida team be this year? Well, I think they can be um, really good. I think that they've got an outstanding secondary. They're replacing a couple, in particular, one really good edge rusher. They're trailing Georgia in terms of personnel, but they're good. Um, I think they've done a great job with Felipe Franks. I think Tony's going to be a playmaker with the ball in his hands. Makes us going to be a good team. I think they could listen. They could play with Georgia and upset Georgia. I don't know if they can win the division over Georgia unless Georgia comes back to the pack. So, I think they're a really good threat. I think Florida's uh, on their on the rise. If they can recruit top five classes like Georgia, they're going to be with Georgia on a year in year out basis. And um, you know, like like I I said, um, you know, kind of making a comparison, Florida and A and M on the west side. Uh, A&M's recruiting a little bit better than Florida, uh, but both are well-coached and both, I think, are programs on the come. Florida's been there before, has won before. A&M's never won at a national level before. Uh, they're going to have their challenges. It's not A&M's year this year. It won't be quite next year, but by uh, 2021, look out. The Aggies are going to be really good, as will the Florida Gators. Well, uh, speaking of Florida, Chris, they have the first game of the season on August 24th. Week zero is actually week one for Florida. They take on Miami at Camping World Stadium in Orlando. And I know on LandryFootball.com, you are locked and loaded because the season is fast approaching. Yeah, you know, with our notebooks every day, for example, we've got a lot of recruiting information that's usually coming up this time of year, and we'll continue, but we're starting with practice notes with Miami, with Florida, as they're getting underway, and everybody's going to – Arizona's playing on week zero. So the programs that are playing on week zero, they're already getting started, and everybody else is going to be kicking it up here in um, by the weekend and early next week. So uh, what's going on, how the roster moves are being made, who's uh, earning starting position, all those things we've got it covered for you, all the breakdowns is the, the previews of the games coming up. We've got it uh, soup to nuts at LandryFootball.com, breaking down the college football game, the NFL game for that matter. Uh, it's like having your own scouting and coaching department at your own disposal for less than a magazine subscription. Check it out. Get all the detailed inside information, tons of free podcasts like this one that's you can find up there. So uh, take advantage of the great uh, discount to open up the season. So a um, lot of fun. Can't wait. Obviously, the start of the season is practically upon us. Absolutely. As Chris mentioned, listen to free podcasts daily on LandryFootball.com and follow him on Twitter at LandryFootball for all the latest breaking news and analysis. You can follow me at Scott's on air and be sure to subscribe, rate and review the college football film room wherever you get your podcasts from, or you can check us out on Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V.com. We continue our Power 5 previews next week, Chris, where we get into the Atlantic Coast Conference and see if anybody can defeat the national champion Clemson Tigers. Until then, 
Hey, look forward to it. Uh, Going to get after it again next week and get a little bit closer to the season. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.